Well, welcome to the Situation Report. It is November 15th, 2023. My apologies for not having a sit rep on uh, doing a live chat on Monday. Uh, I was decisively engaged all day, actually yesterday, today, and yesterday, Monday, and today. It's been a it's been a busy week. There's so much happening right now. The uh, the interesting part of tonight's roundtable is I was able to get Matt Bracken to join. Um, most of you saw our interview from last week, and and I reached out to him and said, "Hey, I do a roundtable every Wednesday. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Conrad will join us uh, fairly quickly." Um, some interesting things have happened just in the last two days that we'll talk through tonight. The first one is the FCC voting to hand off control basically of the internet to the government. And it means a lot of different things. But if you've listened to the narratives coming out of Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, and even um, a few others that are on the campaign trail right now, they've already told us that they're putting measures in place to control speech. And this is literally the platform that they're trying to get and the narrative they're trying to get the American public to swallow. It's it's not going to work out for them. I can tell you that right now. But the interesting part of this this conversation now is I just posted something on my Telegram channel that Jamie, Jamie Dimon is having secret meetings with Nikki Haley. So you can see where the establishment is already starting to line up with who they want to be in the Oval Office. Get away from the Get away from the conversation around who's who's voted in, who's not voted in, whether Trump's voted in, whether Trump's not voted in. Pay more attention to what the signal is coming out of their mouths. They're telling you what the agenda is. The agenda is more of a police state. And you'll see more and more of that coming um, probably over the next several months. And what's interesting about that, uh, conversation that happened. It was, was a conversation. It's been several podcasts that she's done over the past several days where she's saying, I want to know everybody's name. I want everybody to be verified. Essentially what she's telling you, that if you want to, if you want to exercise your first amendment right on any platform on the internet, the government is going to require you to log in and verify who you are so they can trace every one of your comments back to everything you've said. And anybody that's listened to me, I've, I've said things that, you know, people are, you know, makes their skin crawl. But the reality of, this, of, of what they've just done is they've allowed the weaponization of the Internet against average citizens. And I'm not sure if anybody caught it today, but the, the intent of this is to deplatform social media. And most importantly, I've, if you listen to me back in January, you would have heard me say several times that to before they get to 24, they're going to start to deplatform all of all of alternative media because they they're desperate to take back the social narrative and they haven't been able to do it. And I'm trying to add Matt back to the to the studio, but it looks like one of his his mics either muted or there's an issue with his with his mic. So we'll see if he can uh, fix that really quick. But as soon as I get as soon as he gets his, his audio sorted, I'll add him to the to the the live stream. But suffice it to say that I've said before that they would there he is. There you are. Can you can I hear you? Can you hear me? I think I can hear you, Matt. 
Yeah, I had you for a second. Are you there? <laughs> you gotta love technology. Can you it's, hear me now? I can hear you now. So it's weird. There's two of you now in the studio, which is weird. Turns that I'm in the show. Interesting. Did you have a mic issue? Because that seems to be the same the issue I have every so often. Th this will kick me out. I thought I had you there for a second. Can you hear me? No. There you go. I can hear you now. There you go. Did you catch any of my uh, my initial comments, Matt? Ah, that he's gone again. All right, we'll get him back. The uh, sorry about that, folks. This is typical of doing these online things. And, and just for the record, I had a bear of a time today trying to get the the live stream set up with Rumble. And if you if you're new to this, when you set up a live stream on Rumble, it literally allows you to schedule, but it turns on the live stream as soon as you set it up. So it sits there all day just replaying the um the intro until you you go live there we go can you hear me now i can't hear you awesome this is, can you hear me? yep i can hear you loud and clear this is uh this is normal for for doing this did you uh did you catch any of my um my intro I was talking about Nikki Haley. You and I were talking about it before the show. I figured I'd let you chime in. Oh, he's gone again. Uh, you got to love technology. It never works when you need it to. We'll get him back. So let me kick this. Uh, there we go. Okay, we'll try this again. So um, it was a bear of a time setting this up today. Um, when I when you set this up, it turns it on immediately and it sits there and replays the intro and it does it all day long. And it doesn't publish the comments below unless you're really um, adding a lot of comments to it to keep people informed. The live chat opens up right away. So the chat's going all day long and it doesn't say in the, in the description or in the header whether or not the the, uh, where, what time the show starts. So it's a limitation of not just uh, Rumble, but it's a limitation of the way Rumble's set up. All right, so let's see if we got him back. Test, hey, test. Matt, do I have you back? Test, test. That's way better. Way better than what, what before. <laughs> welcome to welcome to Rumble. This is yeah, how I'm sorry. Works. I'm sorry for that. I, I um, had my wireless headphones in and I forgot, you know, because when you plug in the microphone, but your your devices are still set on wireless, just like pro tip, right? That's why they have like the microphone headphone combinations. That's what I um, use. Yeah. But I was like, you know, dancing all around, going in and out of Streamyard. But um, <laughs> I think we've got it now. Awesome. Sorry about that. So did you catch any of my intro? Because I was I caught it all right until like here's Matt Bracken. Where's Matt Bracken? <laughs> Everything up till then, I'm solid. So you can just delete the last five. That's so awesome, dude. That no, no, that 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 just adds to the show, man. You should hear it when I was doing when I was doing uh, uh, Infowars. Sometimes I would, you know, it'd be like, oh, Alex always goes 15, 20 minutes into my hour, so I'm just gonna wing it. I've got like a, like three three lines of outline, and you know, I and then I get told right at the top of the hour, Alex has gone. It's you for an hour. 
and I'm like, yada, yada. Or I have the blue screen of death, you know, check DSN, uh, you know, all of these things one minute before the show is going on. So it's totally par for the course. Dude, that's, it's not a, it's not a show without 15 minutes of cursory ideas. Yeah, that's right. So let's let's start with Nikki Haley because you and I were briefly talking about it before the show. And, and this is how this always goes when you and I get on, right? There's like a million topics to talk through, but this week I think the salient point is, and and, and I'll give it to you in just a second. The salient point is Nikki Haley already told us what the agenda is. Absolutely, they came out today and did it. So let, let's get your thoughts on it. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. Nikki Nikki Haley right now is the. Um, is the poster child for, you know, deep state censorship. And if we get a choice, let's say our choice, quote unquote, if we have an election in 2024, big if, if the election is say Newsom versus uh, Nikki Haley, I probably won't vote. Okay. I mean, it's, it's just going to be, you know, fricking frack, tweedledee, tweedledum, uh, deep state stooges. You know, Nick, Nikki Haley, when she was uh, UN ambassador, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of information out about this. She was financially broke. Early in Trump's term, she quit to quote spend more time with her family, and she immediately jumped to like you know the board of Raytheon kind of jobs, where she basically said, "I've got a mattress strapped on my back. I'm laying down and my legs are open because I need the money." Well, so that's the type of character she has proven. I mean, that's her proven character. That's a, you know, it's a round-backed whore. And right now she's the, she's carrying the, the uh, banner for censorship. So she's willing not only to, to you know, quit on Trump, because he, he just picked her because she was recommended. Trump was terrible about uh, vetting people. He just took the word of people like Chris Christie. Oh, yeah, this, this general, he's great, you know. So one one lying backstabber would foist somebody on Trump after another. Nikki Haley was one of those. She quit after like a year and a half to go to work in quote unquote private industry. But now everybody knows she's for sale. Nikki is for sale. And right now what the deep state is selling is we need to control the internet. So they want to get rid of all anonymity. That'll mean, you know, no VPNs, all that'll be a crime. They'll dress it up. They'll put some terrorism veneer on it. You know, we have to know who these Hamas terrorists are that we just brought into the country. So you can't have anonymous um, Internet accounts anymore. But it's way beyond that. She's basically holding that flag up. It's not just about Internet anonymity. That's just, you know, that's the tagline for the day. But she's holding the banner for I am the deep state candidate for censorship. So if you're for the, you know, the GOP establishment rhinos, you know, the Romney McCain wing, Vote for me. And if she's the nominee, I'm done. Over. <laughs> well, well, I think I, I think when you look at it, so they're gonna install either Newsom or whoever the Republican pick is. The fact that that Jamie Dimon is doing private meetings with her tells me that the the New York elite are and the banking elite are looking at her as the one person that they can install that will do their bidding as far as the economy goes because i think there's two camps right now and, I'm, and i'll ask tom luongo about this when i when i talk to him next the there's the camp that's the davos crowd that's the that's the euro crowd that's doing all the central bank digital currency and all the same same rules and then there's the the new york crowd the jamie diamond crowd that that went to davos last year and said 
we're a bank. We're not doing ESG. We're not doing these carbon credits. It's not, there's no, there's no incentive for us financially to do that. It's a losing proposition. So then BlackRock, Vanguard, and all the others did away with ESG. It, it's literally a dead subject now on the banking side of the house where they were going to set up this social scoring system based on your carbon credits, et cetera. And all of that's been scrapped. So it tells me that those without a seat at the table to the Europeans are trying their best and that there's a fight going on between the Europeans and the and the U.S. right now. And I think the same thing's going on with China. We're, we're all just trying to wait out who's going to collapse first. Yeah, and, that, I think that I think that that Jamie Dimon versus uh, you know European banks is just a tactical thing. Bolsheviks versus Mensheviks—they're all going. They're all going in this in the same direction. It's just a you know a tactical course correction between you know two leading factions. I don't disagree with that, but I I would add to it that it tells me that because if you listen to what Jerome Powell says versus what Yellen's saying. Jerome Powell echoes almost everything that Jamie Dimon says, whereas Yellen is saying, I need to bail out what, what the, the situation in Europe, right? So there's this, there's, I don't know what that, that consternation is between the two camps, but clearly there's some consternation there. And, and if I was, um, if you look at the overall situation from an information perspective, they're doing the exact, they, they did the exact same thing in Europe two years ago, and now the U.S. is caught up. That's literally where mm -hmm. we're at. And everything that happens there eventually comes here, which is what we're seeing now. So the, the real question is, given all of these, these movements, it doesn't matter who's installed. It's really which one's going to be worse and which draconian measures are they going to push through once they install the next regime? Because yeah, we're, they, well, we're, at, we're at the, um, when I was a Russian studies major in college, like in the 70s. And um, there was a, a little branch, like a little cute subset, subset of, uh, of Russia studies that you would, might see in National Review back in the day called Kremlinology, which was everybody knew from reports that Brezhnev was like on life support. They had to put him on like a hand truck and drag him up like a, like a mummy to the Kremlin wall. And he could like barely raise his hand and probably like a, somebody was waving it like a puppet. But everybody was looking at the like 10 guys on each side of him on the Kremlin wall, you know, as the missile trucks went by and the tanks went by. That was called Kremlinology. That's where we are now. We don't know who's running our country. So it's all Kremlin Kremlinology. You know, Sundance at Conservative Treehouse, he, he calls it Obama's third term. You know, everybody's doing their own Kremlin Kremlinology. But I would say, forget about the polls. Just consider that the polls were all bought and paid for. So what a poll means is, is who is paying more and having more effect. So when you if you see Nikki Haley's poll numbers going up, she is so damaged. She is such a transparent, obvious whore, okay? She was financially bankrupt, and then she's a millionaire because she quit working for the government and went to work for Raytheon, being a whore. So... If you still see her numbers going up, what it means is the deep state is making a long bet, a deep bet, that the censorship is going to have an effect. Because if the censorship candidate, Nikki Haley, if she is seen as ascendant, whether it's bogus polls or real polls, if you see on Fox News or anywhere else, oh, Nikki Haley has now surpassed Ron DeSantis. Nikki Haley is challenging Donald Trump. 
then what that's telling you is they really do believe they're going to have complete throttle control on the internet because anybody that looked up Nikki Haley tonight could see, you know, she's like a complete prostitute, 100% prostitute. So they're not worried about anybody searching for her history because they know you're going to be like on the FBI watch list. And when the FCC, as we were, we were discussing, when the FCC is in charge of the internet, they're just going to make this throttling official. It's going to be government policy. This is disinformation. This is true information. Turn that guy's volume down to 1%. Turn that guy's volume up to, you know, 1,000%. And it, it, it won't matter, you know, the truthfulness of anything. And they'll say, you can still say all you want on Twitter. You can say whatever the hell you want on Twitter. Nobody's going to hear it because the FCC has determined it's, you know, harm, it's harmful to society. And that will be official government policy. And right now, Nikki Haley is like the flag carrier for that. So if you see Nikki Haley's numbers going up, the, 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 the shot callers are putting their money on censorship. That's I've run that under the ground. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, we already know that that was coming, right? So I, I talked about this earlier in the year. And one of the shifts that happened, and, and, and that's a, it's actually a good segue, because one of the shifts that happened earlier in the year was the government lost the social narrative. When the Twitter acquisition happened, the government lost control of the social narrative, and they've been struggling to get it back. And I said, I said early on, or actually late in 22, that the government will start to deplatform people. They will find a mechanism so that they can deplatform people so they can regain the cultural narrative. But unfortunately, it's not going to work out for them because one of the things I saw in Iraq that I think, and Afghanistan, which I think is very salient, is the Iraqi people were really good at socialization, very, very good at it. And we would turn off mediums, we would turn off, you know, we would turn off communication. They would find alternative mediums and alternative ways to communicate. I anticipate that an entire, an entire stream of alternative media will show up outside of the internet that will provide at least regional yes. uh, communication and regional um, just this socialization for lack of a better word outside of the government streams. Because look, most people, have the consciousness of the country has shifted the consciousness of a lot of countries is shifting right now because people are just fatigued with war they're tired of the conflict they're tired of the corruption and a bulk of the population here has figured out that the system's dead this is this is the system being corrupted by china and by the communists that are in dc and they're trying to weaponize everything at some point the government will be marginalized to the point where no one will listen to them. And I say that because I look at what happened in Illinois when they pad, they did all these gun bans. Literally, most of the population just ignored it. And they, they had a gun buyback, they had a gun turn in, and like 1% showed up. I, think that, that, I, think I see think, that happening across the, the country. The biggest example of them losing the narrative is every indictment of Trump on these you know, spurious, bogus lawfare uh, bases his poll numbers go up. Yeah. So this is like a this is like a um, macro start Streisand effect. The more that you say he's a crook, the we the more we know you are crooks at the FBI and DOJ. Yeah. And and here's a here's a, and this is why I'm saying this because as the public consciousness shifts, 
away from their narrative, people will be less and less inclined to obey what they're saying. There's always going to be rule followers, right? You're going to have this this group of people that march right in the gas chamber and they're whistling while they're doing right. it. We're but wearing then, a gold mask. Oh, absolutely. But you're you're also going to have a group of people that doesn't pay attention to anything. But in the middle, you have left, right, and center that are going to go, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not signing up for that. And here's the funny thing that's going to happen out of this too. People are going to realize how dependent they are on the internet, and they're going to realize they don't need it. They can communicate in other ways. And that, to me, is going to be their Achilles heel because they're they're counting on the fact that they can drive people to mediums and to platforms they control, and people aren't going to sign up for that anymore. We're just we're just we realize that the mainstream media is completely owned by the CIA. And another nope. another thing that's another way to um, another thing to consider in this discussion is we tend to look at each of these of these lines and say we're just now studying internet censorship as if it's in a, in a vacuum and we're just now trendlining internet censorship and we go back in history and we go forward in, in speculation. But at the same time, all of these other things are happening. We can have a social breakdown that, that, you know, is like George Floyd times, you know, Hamas. And uh, we could have grid attacks, other things where all of a sudden it's not a question of is the government censoring the internet? It's we don't have electricity. And all of these currents are going to be hitting each other um, crosswise. So while we do study things in, in isolation, like censorship, we have to recognize that we're in a very nonlinear period of history. We're kind of going into the rapids. So well, I, I from the top of the rapids, I'm going to completely stay on the left side of the, of the canyon. You just don't know. Once you're around the curve, now there's like other tributaries and a waterfall. So we have to plan for being extremely flexible. I mean, down to like neighborhood communication, uh, Balfong radios, uh, ham radios, anything you can imagine. Nothing is off of the table right now. Yeah, we've been well. That's that's it's it's funny you should mention that because we've we literally my whole team literally has been talking about that very topic about being prepared for any contingency for the past year and year and a half i've been talking about what i call sphere of influence and line of sight for the past two years now and or year and at least a year and a half and i switched about mid-year in 22 because i realized that the political fight was was not going to go in the right direction no matter how much energy and inertia was put there and the thing that the thing that i will um i'll add to that comment of yours is you're right, we're gonna to have to be agile and mobile and the ability to pivot. But this is why I said that this will get back to the neighborhood level, the street level, because when they start taking communication off the board and they start taking social media off the board, the younger generations have already been indoctrinated to accept censorship, yes, to accept absolutely. to accept, you know, privacy violations. It's the older generations, the 30 plus that's been in, that's you know has had enough education to realize what what real freedom of speech means right and what's going to be the i think what's going to be and i i've stopped trying to figure out what the catalyst is going to be that starts this off but at some point 
there will be a catalyst and it maybe it's they're rounding up people that are that are you know saying things like it, i it usually might, do it might just it, it might just be internet goes dark and everybody who is using secondary comms like private radios is just in an argument wondering discussing what happened to the internet and the official you know united states uh emergency broadcast service is saying we just suffered a major attack by russia china iran and other people are saying that's bs our own government shut down the internet because they don't want us to know what's going on with the war in taiwan where we just sank two aircraft carriers i mean we might be literally in the dark talking about what happened to the internet and well because i got this little kernel of a thought in my head at the end of our broadcast last uh friday you know, I mentioned a couple things like just go out and get like the Dow antibacterial soap. You won't always have <laughs> time. Get uh -huh. the JB Weld because JB Weld, yeah. Right. But a, a thing right now that is really much on my mind. I mean, I know the Baofeng radios are popular. If you're a ham radio uh, shortwave guy, God bless you. But everybody should go out right now and off of eBay buy a CD radio for like fifty bucks, a hundred bucks. Get one that plugs into your damn cigarette lighter that. You know, a magnet, you stick an antenna on your roof of your car or you do from your garage. Because if we're in this situation where all at the same time our screens go blue and when the computer comes back on, it's like a FEMA broadcast, right? Blaming Russia for cutting off the Internet banking. It'll be really great to be able to go out to your garage and ask your neighbors what the hell is going on. Because one of them will be the ham shortwave guy that's saying, I don't know, but I'm listening to, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this capital city uh, radio and it's completely different what, from what they're saying on the FEMA station. So wow. having outside of the internet comms, I think is critical. And and I don't want satellite phone or text, uh, like the inReach, Magellan inReach text devices might still be working. I have one, I keep the account going, um, but don't plan on it. Like I see on shows like Bongino, Buy a uh, brand X sat phone. That is not going to be working in a crisis. You know, I wasn't going to go down this rabbit hole, but let's let's do it. Because, you know, I'm glad you brought it up. The, the funny part of this conversation is, and I'm preempting this, so. so I just I dropped my mic on the floor, so I don't know if anybody heard the last, like, two minutes. We did, yeah, actually. Okay, good. We, now it's under my chin again instead of by my toes. Your comms were a little degraded, but so to okay. say that I'm glad we... We're, I'm glad we're going down this rabbit hole because the, this always ends up with aliens controlling the financial system. So let me just get that out of the way. No, it's it lizard out. people. It's the gray well, the, the reptilians. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So the uh, the interesting part of that um, is first the GPS thing becomes a bomb target after the first month. Let's assume you're going to have you're going to have GPS comms for let's say a few days and. and by the way, it's a solar flare. There's a major solar storm that's brewing. They've already set the narrative out there. They've already pushed that out this week. So it's going to be a solar storm. But it may, it, however they do it, right. it doesn't matter what mechanism they use. If that's the way they go, I anticipate that's going to happen with fuel and a few other things so that they restrict movement, they restrict comms, and they restrict the food supply, right? They want and, to drive and you. Know, and will be competing. It will be two major competing factions. Our own government did it to us, and the FEMA saying this foreign government did it did it to us, and actual Americans won't even know who did it to us. 
It doesn't matter. I mean, it's not going to matter, right? Because most Americans aren't going to be able well, to. Well, when they try to when they try to conscript, you know, raise the draft to go fight, you know, Oceania has always been at war with East Asia, and they when they try to draft us for that, it's going to matter if people think that our own country is a bunch of traitors, which they are. Look at the southern border, et cetera. Yeah. Dave, I, I just brought you in, so welcome to the show. Um, I know you've been listening, so I'll let you, I'll let you chime in on this one. Well, wel- uh, welcome aboard, Matt. Good to have you on. Thank you, Dave. I uh, I was just going to say, I'm sure they'll figure out a way to blame it uh, on on we we PTSD ridden yeah. veterans, right? Absolutely. It's going to be all our fault that the internet's down, and somehow we're affecting solar activity and things like that. Yes. So, no, I I uh, only caught some broken bits and pieces earlier, but, uh, what's, what's the main topic on the agenda here? Well, we were talking about the, the, the fact the FCC handed over control of the internet to the government and Matt's premises that they're going to take it down, either a solar, solar flare or some kind of a cyber attack and take down the internet in total, which I, you know, I've toyed around with that idea. Mm. Um, and it's yeah. it's plausible. Well, when, anything's when internet, plausible at this point. When the internet comes back up, Nikki Haley will be on wearing like a um, Klaus Schwab spaceman uniform, saying, "You know, all your internet belongs to us." I, I expect her to have a monocle, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but but in all seriousness, With one side of her um, head. Yeah, I, I think a monocle and like one of those little uh, cigarette holders. Oh, there you like, go. Like Natasha used to have. But um, I do expect that this is all part of shaping the battlefield, right? Because hundred percent, we've seen we've seen things like this. Well, okay, so this is one example, and then we just saw uh, within the last week where the Supreme Court decided they're not going to listen to the case of of our own personal bodily sovereignty, and so they're they're not going to contradict a lower court saying that you have to get vaccines if they're mandated and so, so setting up with the world health health right. organization it, it, yeah. exactly and so what we're going to see over the course of the next yeah, a year is going to be one step after another where the news tightens and tightens and tightens yes and that's just that's just part of the slow burn going in until they determine that uh you know it, the optimal conditions are set it's time for kickoff, but, but it's not 1970 in the uh, in the <laughs> East German Deutsche uh, Democratic Republic, so they can pass these laws even if they're laws in secret. You know, like uh, Sundance at Conservative Treehouse had a major think piece today about uh, about um, uh, Comey going back to like 2017 when he told Congress, "Well, we've been following Trump for a year, but we just never notified anybody." We just didn't, it was too sensitive, right? It was too sensitive. So the the um, the powers that be are just going to act independently. Our Congress is a bunch of cucks. I would call them the, like the Washington generals of politics. You know, they, they uh, who's the guy? Trey Gowdy. He was like always after Benghazi and everything. Cashes mm-hmm. out Congress, goes to work as a contributor on, on Fox, stays on the reservation, draws between the lines. I mean, none of the politics that we're seeing are what's really happening. None of it's re- what none of what we are what we are we're getting the the uh, the um, reflections of the sun on the wall, the shadow in the cave. That's all we're getting. So oh, it's a show. It's just a show. 
that's all it, it is. Like, but when it, but when things start to fall apart, it like what I meant by it's not 1970 in in the East German Republic. They still had years to go to play out that string. They could be as totalitarian. They could dial it up and dial it down. You know, the spying, the secrecy, the informants. They had complete power until the you know the, the uh, late uh, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. But America is not in that situation. Our wheels are coming off. This is not like a solid country like East Germany, 1970, where they can just institute totalitarian controls and we have to suck it up. The wheels are coming off of the wagon as we speak. I and think the wheels are coming off. Announcements. They can try to throttle the internet, but you know, no matter what, <laughs> we're still having this economic crisis and World War III looming in several areas. Well, I think the wheels already came off. I think they came off last year. I, what we're seeing is the system of control disintegrating under their feet, and they don't know what to do. They, right. the, machine, the machine is going to stay on its course and keep, continue to go down the tracks until all the gears strip off and the wheels collapse, yes. right? That's 100%. We know that. Totally. If you it's look all... at the Roman Empire, that's exactly what happened, right? The, the, steam was, the steam train was still going down the tracks, but all the cars were falling apart all the way up to the engine. But if they took you, to, the if, but if they dragged you to Rome or to Washington, they could still throw you in solitary Owen Schroyer. Or I, they're or, going to uh, do that as much as they can anyway, right? I mean, right. Let's, let's face it; that's just the apparatus. Yeah, right. but look, ESG. I was just going. I was just going to jump in and say, you know, ESG. I think you mentioned that earlier in the show is something that they've kind of set on the shelf. And I think it's 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 a very good example of one of these things that they thought was over the threshold. It's something people weren't going to tolerate, could potentially trigger reaction from the public. I look at this whole economic crisis as one more piece of the puzzle, if you will. It's difficult to go out and buy ammunition when you're overextended on your credit cards, when you can barely put gas in the tank, buy food on the table, etc. And I think it's all part of the formula. There, I what I see happening is they're going to keep things just under the threshold to where people are less reactive and, and then uh, milk us along until we get into next year at that point, some somewhere in summer or, you know, late, late summer, early fall uh, to set stage for, for uh, avoiding the election. That, that may be the plan. You know, that may be the plan, you know, first contact with the enemy, et cetera. Um, I, I don't know if you heard this, analogy before, you know, you can look at the rapids from the top of the rapids and say, I think that the left side of the canyon is the way I'm going to go. But, you know, it, it, a week from now, there could be a Beirut bombing level incident in Syria. You know, a truck bomb takes out 200 American staked out goats, you know, and we have our Tonkin Gulf incident. And as you've seen from even like uh, American media, has just become slavishly, and I'm not. I'm not against Israel, and I'm not, you know, pro Hamas. Don't get me wrong, but it's just been like an amazing lesson to watch all of these reporters with Israelis saying they're being so careful in this hospital. They're only attacking terrorists. I mean, they're just like such pure propagandists, and I, and I, and it's not even. I'm not even talking about Israel versus Hamas. I'm just saying, look how they got in line. They just they just took their orders and it's 24 um, seven. The, you know, the IDF is doing their best to get those terror tunnels under the hospital as carefully as possible. 
the rest of the world is seeing a 180 degree different story. But they are going to be able to flip the media on us in a second. If there's if there is a a big trigger event, if it's not something like a Beirut bombing level thing in the Middle East, I expect something like a Las Vegas sniper that's going to take out you know a left wing group. Um, all of these mass gatherings in Europe and in Washington and in New York, they are literally setting the stage for any person goes up in a tall building, you know, with uh, 450 rounds is going to have a, an impact on history. And it could be a false flag, a real flag. It could be a FBI cutout, or it could just be a lunatic that like a left-wing lunatic could shoot at left-wingers knowing it will be blamed on the right wing correctly. I mean, that's what the Maidan coup in 2014 was. Our CIA and other, you know, uh, other actors, but affiliated basically under the rubric of CIA, they paid right-wing Nazis of, the, of Ukraine to shoot at right-wing Ukrainians to blame it on the Russians, which triggered the entire Maidan events including you know, burning the trade union building in Odessa, with, which is considered like an Alamo atrocity in Russia. We did that as a false flag. We, our government, paid right-wingers to shoot right-wingers in the Ukrainian context to be blamed on Russia and Putin, triggering a war where hundreds of thousands have died. So do not put it beyond anybody's reach when you see 300,000 people on, on London Bridge or in Central Park, one person with a rifle is at the stage where you can change history like uh, uh, the Fer Archduke Ferdinand in Sarajevo. Anybody with a gun firing down at 300,000 people doesn't have to aim and they don't need a bump stock. It's a modern-day version of the strategic corporal, right? Lowest level yeah. guy biggest impact big time or or you know as the story goes and it's probably true mostly box cutters took down the world trade center building i that's just don't think that that's crazy. as much as i as much as i've seen that scenario play out we've already seen that scenario play out several times i i the more, more to me a more likely scenario is the bombing of like they we've left troops in syria and iraq for no reason other than to make them drone targets that's right. And missile bait. You know, I see a carrier being hit, like the Eisenhower's end past end of life, still it's still in the Gulf. Yes. I see that more than I see a sniper from the building because what they really want and what they haven't been able to achieve yet. Because I some signal happened this week, especially today, that I think is very good news. The first one is Iran has said we're not going to fight the US. We're not going to fight Israel. And that's significant because Hamas, Hezbollah, they were created by the CIA and by Mossad and funded by Iran. But Iran basically said, we're not doing World War III. Because but Erdogan is like trying to be the new caliph. Of well, a, of he, that's, that's the, yeah, that's the interesting side of this, right? I was going to go there next. The interesting side of this is what Turkey's doing, because if Turkey enters the war, it is the end of NATO as we know it. And just full stop, end of story. Because NATO, Turkey has been our ally for how long? I mean, we've had Prinzerlich for, I mean, well, we moved supplies. We are, we are, we are moving, 
post um, Treaty of Westphalia era, where yes, we are, where it was a given that you after Westphalia you controlled your borders, you were responsible. You know, wherever your capital is in the east, and there's a incident on the border in the west, your country is responsible. What we've been seeing with the the um, uh, in the EU, I forget the, the treaty, the, uh, all of the countries of Europe are bound by a common external border. And it's, you know, Hungary, you don't protect your border. Brussels will protect your border, except it doesn't. Or in the United States context, wide open southern border. In the Syrian and Iraqi context, they have national governments that have said, get the hell out. And we've just said, make us. We're the United States Air Force. We can land where the hell we want. And if you fire too many missiles at us, we'll attack you with air missiles. So all of what I'm getting to is in that Middle East region, Turkey, Syria, all the way to Saudi Arabia, if governments just say, I don't care who marches across our territory. You know, there, there's, a, there's a theory, a, a really, really smart guy, George McMillan, I've done podcasts with. We left the weapons in, Tal- in Taliban land. It wasn't an oversight. At, on our way out, we were giving a poison pill to the back door of Russia. We're arming every insurgent group for the stands. You know, we're just allowing every Russian, uh, uh, Russian affiliated or, or um, subservient stand to be attacked by their Islamists. Well, there's nothing to prevent those weapons from going all the way to, to Israel if nobody's guarding borders anymore. You know, let's face it, countries like Syria are 90% open desert. 10% city next to a port or a river, 90%, if you don't care, you just let people roll through. And we could be on the verge of that era where Treaty of Westphalia, that's a dead letter. Probably is. And I would say, in addition to that, we not only left the equipment to be exfiltrated to other countries, we left that equipment to let our enemies figure out how to defeat that equipment. Because it's not just handing it over. Now they've had time to, to analyze it and figure out how to defeat it. And we've seen some of that happen in Ukraine, not just with the drones, but with missile technology, jamming technology, and others. So they've created the perfect storm. And that I think that perfect storm was was set up just for CONUS, not, not for overseas. I think overseas is just a second or third order effect. I mean... I, Dave, you probably got some more insight on this than I do, but you see where I'm going with that, right? I don't think you're wrong, man. I think you're, we're right on, right over target, but I think there was second and third order effects that they wanted out of that as well. I think it serves several purposes, and and they're they're okay with with most of those purposes. Um, I, I think first and foremost, falling on your sword and stepping away from things in a publicly weakened position was part of Joe Biden's marching orders. Amen. I think and I think that big signal. That was a that was a deliberate step to demonstrate that the United States was now in an era of backpedaling and withdrawal and no longer the dominant guy on the block. Um which is That's obviously a, a 180 from where Trump stood. So you've got things like that. I think you know when I was in Ramadi, I can recall uh, leaving very sophisticated night vision gear there for the Iraqis, which I sat there and I thought, oh my God, I wish the hell I had this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to come back and bite you. You don't like to leave people behind you in the rooms you just cleared, right? And and we were leaving not just people 
but equipment as well. And uh, does it work against the Russians? Yeah, it can. But by the same token, um, that same equipment can end up in a lot of other places, as we've seen with equipment that uh, has been donated to the Ukraine, right? Sure. So there's any number of, of satisfactions they can gain, whatever suits their purpose. Yeah, it's a it's a humili it's a period of humiliation. It's like in, internationally, it's like the uh, melting the Robert E. Lee um, uh, statue down. You know, visually recording it around the world. Our allies, who are many, you know, when people like you meet at parties, they'll tell you in foreign embassies or clubs. You know, I love America. I've got a relative in America. I think America is great. You know, you hear this. You go around. There are allies, just people, allies in government, in business. And they'll tell you, you know, I just think America is great. So Afghanistan, to a lesser extent, our exits from Iraq and other other places, it's part of the humiliation tour so that our allies start to peel away. I don't want to be backing this loser. I don't yeah. disagree with that. I, I, but I think that brings up an interesting point. And, you know, most of us discount the fact that China's is, is maneuvering the regime to not just um, destroy our credibility and destroy our um, I, credibility is not the word I'm looking for, but it's, it's part of that whole, they're destroying our, 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 I guess, uh, global force projection. I, I see China doing this. I see China involved in this because but, it's no coincidence that that Biden is completely controlled by by China. And then China, you know, Xi shows up in San Francisco and the press shows a street lined with Chinese flags. Right. That uh, Dave and I were talking about this before the show. That is a complete screw you to the American people saying we own you. Cow that's, cow. Well, that's the subliminal message, right? Look at all these communists that are here celebrating G coming to, to San Francisco. And, we they, own and they know they've got Biden on a leash because they've got him under blackmail control. Absolutely. Making millions of dollars is the other party's got the evidence and could blow you out of the water. Well, the FBI has it, right? Because Chris Ray is a guy that. If you watch any of but his, you, but if you if you if you go too far against China, they can just blow you out of the water with the blackmail tapes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, another thing, though, about um, American force projection and this, you know, period of national hum humiliation. There's also just a pure uh, mechanical engineering breakthrough level to this, sort of like uh, the invention of going from gunpowder to um, to uh, dynamite, you know, nitroglycerin dynamite or from, uh, you know, single shot rifles to machine guns, the generals never catch up with the tactics, right? They're still doing human wave um, attacks against machine guns in World War I. So right now we've got a force projection model based on aircraft carriers where you have F-18s or uh, attack planes with a range which is so short they're useless. It's like putting a, you know, a battleship against uh, uh, Japanese aircraft coming, the what was it, the, the two battleships from Britain that came out of Singapore? Prince, Prince of Wales and Repulse. Repulse. Yeah, at that, up until that moment, the theory was all of these 
these you know uh, dozens of machine of anti-aircraft guns mean that no aircraft can threaten this battleship. Well, that was proven wrong. Now the same kind of stupid admirals and generals are saying, sure, let's put aircraft carriers in the Red Sea, the Eastern Med, and the Persian Gulf. If they don't want a tonk, a major Tonkin Gulf, they're just absolutely mentally retarded, right? If they really think that they can bluff countries down anymore, those countries can be taken out so many ways so easily now. It's it's almost like this: the troops in Syria and and uh, uh, eastern Syria, northern Iraq, like missile bait, like they're actively looking for a Tonkin Gulf. Well, they need it, right? Because they need to change the narrative. I mean, look at just since October 7th, you don't hear anything about the Biden crime family. You don't hear anything about impeachment. They've completely shifted the public focus. And what's interesting about the public opinion and the way the public's responded to Israel is they've put them into two camps. They tried to do the vaccinated, unvaccinated during COVID, and now it's Israel versus the, the Palestinians. And look at how many people have bought a hook, line, and sinker. You have mass demonstrations all over the country. And nobody learned anything from COVID, that they're just putting you into buckets. It's it's amazing to me that um, the public um, view is so short. But that aside, um, I, I think that, you know, Dave, Dave, you said the best, you know, putting carriers in the in the Mediterranean is a knife fight in a, in a phone booth, right? I, I agree. That's how I see this, that that part developing. But And I think Iran saying that we're not going to fight is significant because it says that we're not going to retaliate against the bombing in Syria and hitting our strategic targets in southern Lebanon. That's that, that to me is significant. And, you know, you could take it a lot of ways, but the, the, there's been a lot of significant events over the last few weeks that have led us away from that major conflict. And maybe that's just them architecting the narrative to keep, to, you know, to keep this thing as a slow burn. I, I well, let, let's let's step back for just a second and and uh, think critically here. So what we've seen under the Biden administration is tremendous amounts of money put at the disposal of the Iranian government, right? We've we've seen uh, billions in the past, and and I just was reading last week that they're considering another uh, monetary gift as far as. Uh, Dave, can uh, I make an interjection very quickly? Uh, yeah, go Not ahead. Only talking about like shifting bank funds, we sent pallets of the yeah, cash, hundred dollar bills and euros. Yeah. Which, no, I get which, it. I get which it. In, but it, but it, let me just just for a moment. In the diplomatic pouch world, that's like buying truck bombs in Argentina. That's right. how you have a truck bomb go off in Argentina with no trace because you literally sent a pallet of money to your Hamas affiliate in Argentina. Right. And under the radar. No right. Time. But what I'm, what, I, what I'm getting at, well, I agree with what you're saying, but what I'm getting at is that you've got that on one side of the coin. And then on the other side of the coin, Steve, what this really says to me from the Iranian perspective is um, we're not going to mess with you right now, but we're expecting something bad to happen to you in the next little bit. And we'll see you on the flip side. Yes. And I, I fully expect, I mean, you know, I can remember, and I, I, I grew up next to an Iranian family. I always had an interest in Iran from a geostrategic perspective. Um, and I can remember a lot of the chit chat coming out of Iran at, at the local level 
was was the fact that these people were scared to death of our air power and what was going to get put on their heads. And because uh, they knew we, we could pretty much strike, I don't want to say with impunity, but we were more than a match for their air defense capabilities. And so, you know. Like Operation Praying Mantis is still a real thing. Well, well, what I'm saying is, you know, Iran has been a nation that since, since uh, the theocracy took over, you know how active they've been internationally with with uh, wet work and things like that. I mean, they 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 really stepped over the line, so to speak. So they're not afraid of that stuff, but I think they are afraid of the, the potential retaliation, unless we're on the flip side of some type of catastrophic event where we lack a the focus because we'll have other things on our plate to deal with right in our face, and b the organization and capability and leadership to to in a coherent way fully respond to them so, so i think the, i think they'd rather just wait us out yeah that's what i'm saying they're 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 not stupid the, the yeah. iranian <laughs> iranians are not stupid people I think they invented chess yeah well you know that's they're they're going to do what they feel is best in their interests and uh you know going toe to toe with us they would much rather let somebody else set the stage and step in once we've got a bloody nose and uh, a punch in the gut. Right. They can co close the Straits of Hormuz at will, but that will be in the context of their refineries are in flames and they can't uh, transport fuel around their own country. So no, you know, nobody would choose that. That's like, let, let's fire first in a Mexican standoff. So right now, they're I think they're willing to see uh, other events happen to a United States that are probably coming. You know, well, I, I'd forgotten we had that conversation, Dave, and it, I, I don't, I don't disagree because I forgot about the money that the, the new round of money that we're talking about sending them. Yeah. That's yeah. potentially us saying stay out of the war for a little bit longer because we're planning a false flag. Like you were talking about earlier, Matt. I mean, I don't discount the fact that CIA is working both sides of the fence over there and working Iran, Hezbollah and, and Hamas all at the same time with Mossad, because that's that's right in their wheelhouse, right? Allegiance to no one. So I hadn't considered that angle. Well, I also think that Iran is sitting back. They understand that, that you know, they can render some some devastating blows potentially uh, through guerrilla operations in our country and, and things like that. But but I think they're going to be more content to sit back and let the heavyweights fight it out ahead of time i think they understand uh the the evolved nature of the relationship between china and the united states particularly in lieu of current leadership i think they're waiting to see what happens there's a lot of people questioning uh the actual health status of of vladimir putin and where that's going to go and so i think you know i think they're a, they're a high school kid who's willing to sit back and let the adults in the room, uh, you know, go go to blows before they turn. I don't see adults in the room in Washington. <laughs> no, but where are they? The you know what I'm talking about. They're 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 looking at the bigger powers, and they're saying, "All right, if we're going to tangle with one of these guys, uh, particularly the United States, we'll we'll do it when they're you know brought down a few pegs." Well, and you don't want to do it in an escalatory fashion where. You know, yeah, you, they can do great dam damage to us, but they absolutely, they've got like two two big refineries. They're destroyed, you know, and okay, so they close the Straits of Hormuz. 
Japan and China suffer. The whole world is thrown into a global depression. But they also suffer massively. I think they would much rather fight indirectly. And if they need to do something inside of the U.S., it'll be sleeper cells that are not attributable to Iran. Well, we know they're already here, so that part is is pretty easy to make. But non-attribution will be key. You can't leave a missile track back to you know to Iran. Let's let's not forget the other the other foot falling, and that is Israel. And that is to say, pretty much anything Israel wants in Washington, Israel gets. And the bottom line is right now. If if we yes, especially right now. But if we got into uh, into an entanglement with Iran. That might very well give Israel the excuse they're looking for to get in there and with their air force devastate any nuclear building facilities and and uh, and set them back quite a bit. I don't think they can really do that now. I think that I think that they've got to fly too far with too little support. They can't count on American support, no refueling, nothing like that. It's a long way to carry fairly insignificant payloads compared to what Iran can throw immediately at them in terms of missile throw weight, immediately. Yeah. I mean, immediately. So they may or may not take, you know, use bunker busters. This isn't like the uh, the nuclear plant like 30 years ago with a couple F-16s sneak in and plant a GPS bomb right in the you know, bullseye. This is going to be orders of magnitude harder. Their air defenses are orders of magnitude better, and their missile throw weight is orders of magnitude greater also. So I think that Israel can't just, you know, throw their weight around in terms of taking out, trying to take out Iran's potential nuclear program, not without major American help. I don't see that coming. My, my, so two things on, on everything you just said. The first one is you're right. Israel owns Washington, DC, and that's because a lot of politicians in DC are Israeli citizens, but it also tells me that most, and People widely believe that Mossad was behind Epstein. This tells me that sure. Epstein or Mossad was behind Epstein, and most of these controlled assets in DC are controlled by Mossad. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing out of DC. They none of them have gone off script or off the reservation. All of them are pro-Israel. And that whole pro-Israel demonstration that Johnson talked at on Saturday, that was completely bought and paid for by Israel. And I that all of those culmination events that came together all in one moment, they highlighted a lot of different things, but it really highlighted just how much Israel, how much influence Israel has in D.C. and that D.C. is completely owned by Mossad. Completely. D.C. and media. Mockingbird. Well, we knew that, you know. Shamefully. Well, yeah, we knew that the most of the... Um, most of the media moguls are uh, dual citizens, I believe, too. So that's and not even and, and I, my goal in the next paragraph is not to, you know, take aside Hamas does you know, these tactics, Israel does these tactics. What is genocide, etc.? It's just that you always have to look at a conflict from your adversary's point of view. If you don't, you're just stupid. You're like the Japanese in 1944, thinking you're going to win World War II because that's all you hear on media, right? And so you have to look at the rest of the, what the rest of the world is seeing and what the rest of the world is seeing is Israelis just bombing hospitals. I mean, it doesn't make it true. I'm not like sympathizing with that point of view. I'm just saying you have to look at the total uh, world media picture 
not just be swallowed up and absorbed by the mockingbird media that we're seeing in America. Oh, I think the information war was lost on on October 9th by Israel after the first hospital was bombed. It didn't matter who fired the rocket or dropped the bomb. It didn't matter. It, and, from and that, that point, public opinion swayed against them. And that's how I look at it. I don't care who's right or wrong or indifferent. Both sides have done their their share of atrocities. But the point is, who's winning the information war? And right exactly. now, it's it's Hamas is winning the information war. But and, you wouldn't see that if you watch American media. Oh God, American media is so staged. It's 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 most Americans are kind of going, "This is retarded." But that's actually a danger. Watching really bogus media that gives you a skewed and unrealistic, you know, worldview can can keep you placid when you should be like, you know, really uh, concerned. Well, that's the part that's that's the part that's interesting for me. Because in, in every case, when you have this much inflammatory and emotional, emotionally charged propaganda being pushed across the planet, you would expect someone to go off the reservation. And no one's gone off the reservation yet. We've seen small skirmishes. We've seen a couple of knife attacks. But nobody has really gone off the reservation. And you would think that either you know, somebody on the Jewish side or somebody on the Palestinian side would have gone off the reservation and done some kind of a, a mass attack. We haven't seen any of that, which is interesting because that's, I would expect in a, in a month of, of, of fighting with 10,000 plus civilian casualties by now, you would have seen that. And we've seen none of it. Yeah. It's, you did see yesterday the, um, you know, the pro-Israeli rally had a very high level of security because they were extremely concerned. But when you see uncontrolled uh, street protests, meaning like, you know, the police are just basically standing aside and letting the river flow, like we saw in London uh, and other European cities, anybody with a rifle up top could do something as important as Maidan, the Maidan massacre in 2014. And that becomes just a temptation to all kind of loose cannons. It doesn't have to be, not just what are given an order to do it, but just somebody that says, for the cause, I'm going to do this. And for the cause could be a communist shooting communists for That's the cause. True. That's true. And and I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that for every every you know, for every plan where you have extremists involved, one of them always goes off the reservation. And we just haven't seen that yet. That's that's the part that's surprising for me because any any operation that has been carried out, especially you saw a lot of this in Syria that bleed over into France and into other European countries during the Syrian conflict. As support in Syria was from a NATO country, you would see attacks in that country by somebody who went off the reservation. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't make it to mainstream, but it would be in the alt media and you'd be able to see it. We've seen nothing. It's like I think, crickets. I think, yeah, at but, state, I think at the state level, Countries like Iran are keeping their people on a leash because they don't want any, anybody to, you know, affect an overall plan through some rogue operation. Steve, a couple of weeks ago, when this situation in the Middle East first lit off, I said, in the background, don't lose sight of the fact that there's a lot of uh, lines of communication being developed for purposes of controlling natural gas and, and oil supplies coming out of the Caspian Basin and some of those areas. And so what you saw was the, the Belt and Road Initiative countries uh, being slowed down 
being being uh, slapped in the face by you know the people from London that control the Western markets and so on, who traditionally have controlled a lot of the uh, fossil fuel industries coming out of there. So I think this whole situation in the Middle East has been scripted. It's been fairly predictable right down to the tactical level. You've got both sides claiming all kinds of terrible atrocities on, on the other side. You've got the whole situation with a hospital. You, you could almost write in some type of hospital-centric uh, event into each of these situations. Um, and, and so I think if internationally, what have we seen? We've seen Hamas has garnered all kinds of support internationally. You've got a multitude of countries with large populations protesting in their favor, which, which conversely uh, gives Israel the us against the world perspective, which garners a great deal of money and financial and military support uh, being handed over to them from the United States. And so suddenly the focus is no longer on Ukraine. Now Israel's back to being our darling and, and uh, you know, the, our, our junior neighbor that we've got to defend. And so I think both sides are reaping uh, the rewards of a fairly scripted event that is, has worked out uh, pretty much right on track. You know, when things are going scripted and linear, I'm looking for something unscripted and nonlinear. That's exactly what I've been trying to say. Thank you for saying that way better than I could have said. I think that, that that's the part that's that is, and you and I have talked about this, Dave, the law of unintended consequences. Yeah, all the time. We've, we've imported 28 million military-aged males into this country, according to some of my DHS contacts. And let's say that number's real, 30 million. That's a significant number of people. And a, a good portion of them are Muslim. And you would think that somewhere in there, one of those, you know, one of those folks would have gone off the reservation by now and caused unintended consequences. I mean, at some point, this plan that they have is going to go off the rails. I, I, I don't know why I say that, but I firmly believe that that it's going to go off the rails. And when it does, they're going to lose control. I, I we're not making it. To, I'm still on the fact we're not making it to the 24 election. I don't I care agree. what anyone says. That's never going to happen. One of the even Newsom versus Haley. Yeah. No, but one of care. one of the advantages culturally that the Muslims have in terms of being reined in and not stepping off the reservation is that culturally they're going to tend to follow their their tribal and religious leadership. And uh, you know those guys coming into this country, and let's face it, we've been finding Qurans in in parts of. Arizona and Texas for over two decades. So you're right. I agree with you about the numbers. It's 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 daunting. I mean, it's probably eight or ten percent of our population at this point. But nonetheless, those people are going to bide their time, do as they're told, until they're told it's time to rise up. It's time to have our holy war, our jihad, and that's when you're going to see things lighting up. Right, and in the United States. They can already have weapons because you can have uh, your beachhead people, your you know your um, advance party. They're here steadily buying up rifles and and campground land. Um, but also in the even in the European context or the American context, it's much easier to smuggle one cargo container into the USA than say you know 
10,000 men and 10,000 men are crossing every single day. So I think that when the moment happens, we're going to be shocked to find out how many of these people are carrying AK-47s, even if well, they're just, even if it's just trucks, like the um, Antifa protest trucks, where like somebody rents a U-Haul and it just happens to be full of signs and fireworks and you know everything else. The truck will be left in Baltimore with a thousand AK-47s and you know five thousand magazines. Matt, I can I, I can remember. I, I'm going to chime in and, and pile onto what you're saying. I can remember literally. 30 plus years ago, reading about how the Chinese uh, were effectively uh, arming the drug gangs in the United States. Because you go back 30, 40 years, you didn't see anybody being shot by an AR-15. That was virtually unheard of. But they were going to do that with the acquiescence of the Democrats because it supported the anti-gun agenda. And so you began seeing this escalation of so-called assault-type weapons in the, in the hands of uh, you know drug gang members, now and so on. Call them on, what they are. They're weapons of war. They're not so, assault rifles anymore. Okay, okay. Yeah. So on top of that, on top of that, this dovetails right into Mr. Obama and Eric Holder, his buddy. Fast. And uh, you you yeah, go back awesome. fast and furious. I think they have been stockpiling, and I think all of that was a kickoff, a deliberate kickoff from the Obama administration to start stockpiling and working on this plan you know, a decade and a half ago. And so, the, 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 there will absolutely. be, in, if there are events like this, like let's say the um, October 7th Hamas type attacks kicked off, your chances of being actually shot with an AK-47 bullet are extremely low. Your chance of being caught in some kind of a panic stampede are greater, like one order of magnitude greater. Like, you know, you you couldn't get to work because they closed all the roads but the consequence all of us will feel is that if we get into armed George Floyd riots where that people are actually just shooting police, then we're, not, we're gonna see a supply chain breakdown and everybody is affected because the supermarkets are looted. And so no matter what lights the fuse on that, no matter what the, the immediate causality is, when the supply chain is broken, all of our cities will go into a downward spiral extremely fast. Well, I want, to, I want to circle back to something because I, Dave, you made a very, very good point. And I haven't touched on the fast and furious piece of this and made that link for, for a very specific reason, because there's a lot of different rabbit holes you can go down with that. But uh, just assume that stockpiling weapons, training centers, terrorist camps have been going in this country for longer than just 10 years. You go all the way back to 9-11. The police state started with the Patriot Act. This is just an extension of the Patriot Act that they've wanted to put in place since 9-11. This, none of this cancel culture and any of the rest of that, all of those narratives are just different now. The exact same narrative way back in, in 2003 when Bush said, Bush, you know, W said, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. That narrative has been around for 25 years. But the, the difference now is this is the execution phase of that plan. I would say that this plan has been in place for 30 years, not just 20. And we're seeing the action portion of that. Now, do I think it's going to get to fruition? It may start that way. But, Matt, I think you're right. At some point, the supply train breaks down and they lose all, they lose all control. I mean, that's, 
You know how it is when you step off the line of departure in any operation. Everything turns to shit the moment you step off the line of departure. I see that happening with this operation, no matter how much they try to control the situation. Matt, I think one of the things we're going to see is we're going to see a very... They understand the fact that once things start spinning up, you, you get into exponentially more difficult uh, levels to... to uh, exponentially more difficult to control the situation and i think what they're going to do is wade into it very carefully exactly what you're talking about uh isolating people in terms of uh chains food chains lines of communication cut off uh you know shelving units bare in in grocery stores things like this i think they're going to take the focus away from direct conflict and direct engagement and they're going to put it on to, you know, what the challenge is in getting food onto our tables. Yeah, in, in that context, uh, the whole COVID disaster was a beta test for, will police just enforce non-laws? Yes, they will. If the mayor says you can't leave your house, the police will arrest you for leaving your house. So once, once they have things sufficiently isolated, that may be a different story. But I don't think, I think... Once you get into direct force-on-force -force engagement, they're smart enough to realize that their days are numbered. And so they're going to do as many things on the front end of that under controlled circumstances that they can in order to get our focus on different different elements for survival, not necessarily killing them. And that's that to me is why they need a control of the Internet so they, they can take down specific portions so that we can't debunk and call out false flags because one of the things the alt media has done for the last 12 months is break up all their narratives and call out their false flags before they were able to, to happen. And this, this fits right. That lines up exactly with how they, how they would want to control comms before anything took place. Absolutely. They'll spend at least a month isolating us in terms of uh, food supplies Things like that. They've already started the process. What, what is it? Over 200 different food processing plants that have been destroyed or damaged in the past year or two. People have to get a hold of their own food and not only food, equally, if not more, their water. I, I know so many people, they've got night vision goggles and <laughs> infrared lasers, but they their water is city water. And they've, they've got they don't realize that like in a week they can't live in their place. Yeah. Troops been troops been talking water for the past the past year and you know he's he's been spot on right be it most people it, it, that's the that's a bigger problem most people don't know how to grow their own food most people don't know how to purify water most it takes too long to learn the, the learning curve is fatal yeah. you die in the learning curve I agree I agree i mean i've got all the survival seeds you know heirloom survival seeds enough for a farm but i would starve to death before i got the first pea out of the ground <laughs> You know, maybe the survivors that find it will help in the you know recovery phase. I, 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 you know, that's funny about that is we've literally been preaching that for the past the past year. You know, be eighty percent, you know, be um, eighty percent ready, one hundred percent of the time, and use your stuff because most people, you know, they they get on Amazon and they they buy all the shit from Amazon. It shows up and stays in the package. You can't figure out how to use a water filter when you're dying of thirst and you haven't and, drank and water. And you need water. Days. You need yeah. water. If yeah. your tap goes dry, the backup generators for neighborhoods that are, are these uh, 
forget the name of the company, Generac Generators. They're the size of a minivan. The bottom third of it is a diesel tank. That's enough for like two days for your subdivision to keep the water flowing. Assuming that water is going to be flowing from the city anyway. And assuming that nobody has just gone to that place and drilled two holes and said, (laughs) that 500 gallons diesel is mine now. I was just just going to say that. Drill two holes and you, you just put it in your tank. Yeah. I was just going to say, that's what's funny. I was literally thinking the same thing. Well, when you take a look at what's going to happen in the cities, because those are the obvious first targets once we get into direct action, uh, you have to think that they're going to try and generate as much blue on blue as they possibly can. People fighting for resources and things like that uh, without turning around and fully engaging the actual threat. And the question is going to become how much cooperation is there and how much antagonism is there. The next question is going to be, how does this evolve once people, once it starts growing out of the city into the suburb and transitioning into more rural areas? That's where things get very confusing if you try to war game this out. Cities are going to turn into a quagmire like Matt, just like you talked about, you've only got a limited amount of food, two or three days for most people that's that's fresh. And then they're going to start getting desperate. But so much of the transportation infrastructure flows right through these cities. We saw like a year or two ago in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, they were looting trains going into like the port of Los Angeles. You know, they have to just park for hours on the outskirts of the city. And in the meantime, they're just being looted. They're just being bolt cutter opened and looted. So all of this infrastructure that goes through our cities, like Memphis, all of the natural gas from New Orleans is flowing up to the Northeast, coming through the Memphis area. If Memphis is on fire and police can't go in there, these chemical plants and and, uh, pipelines are going to be disrupted. So you can't just isolate at the cities and say, draw a circle around the cities and the, the consequences are less as you get further from the city well, because to that. between two cities that they still shop at Walmart. Yeah. Add one to that. Now we, what we haven't talked about is we're, we're talking logistics of supplies and critical infrastructure. We haven't talked about movement of displaced people out of cities, right? Cause you're right. When you get to the rural areas, that's what I'm getting you, at. You're, you're, I knew you were going there. So just bear with me uh, The all of the displaced um, infrastructure, you're right. All of our transportation network goes from hub to hub, big city to big city. So you're moving, you're moving people out to the countryside. They're only going to get a certain distance away from the city, especially, and I'll use Arizona or Phoenix as a perfect example. There's no water outside of Phoenix. There's, there's a couple of reservoirs, Salt but you're going to, you're going to have a pile of dead bodies there because people are going to drink out of that and not purify it and die of I mean, a myriad of diseases, parasites, whatever. So it's not just the movement of people that's going to be detrimental. Well, the, disaster, the disaster will fan out from the cities. Yes. In, in a medium context, not Arizona and not Maine, just say in the middle of Missouri. Uh, yes, you, the, the people's properties get larger. There's more acreage. There's more farmland. More people are on a well instead of uh, city water. They may have their own backup generator. So as terrible as it is in the cities, it will seem less terrible as you head away from the city. Initially. And that's Michael Yan's um, human osmotic pressure always works. So if it's like a 90% kill zone cannibalism in the city, 
your place out in the suburbs with a swimming pool full of drinkable water will seem like an oasis. I think initially, I, I don't think in, in my, in my, um, my book, foreign enemies and traitors that it it's the setting of that book is a year after a big new Madrid earthquake. And I just use that as a plot device to like freeze the federal government, paralyze the federal government. But the new Madrid fault breaks all of the bridges around in the uh, St. Louis, Memphis to Nashville, all those bridges collapse. And um, the people in Memphis have to leave. There's just no water. The city is completely crushed. So as you move west, or excuse me, east out of Memphis, you move across Germantown and into suburbia and then countryside. In my book, the people that are hearing from the early survivors of Memphis do not let the gangs in. You have to stop them. You have to shoot down at that intersection. You have to block the intersection. You know, you've got to absolutely have no mercy because the people who just were in the suburbs of Memphis get completely overrun and massacred. Matt, so, it's really funny that you mentioned New Madrid. Uh, when I was on a Joint Force headquarters, I remember we had a year where we had to focus on civil military operations and uh, the New Madrid fault line and all of that, of course, you know, you, you talk about disrupting flow east to west, west to east in this country. That's critical. And I would expect any number of, you know, bridges and other lines of communication to be destroyed. Uh, you know, obviously the, the terrorists aren't going to be able to manufacture an earthquake, but those are the kind of places that I would right. expect to see right. bridges taken out. Route. I, use that, I use that as a plot device because in foreign enemies, yeah. there's like several different paradigms that function after this catastrophic earthquake. So you have like the Rust Belt socialist Democrat. You have the South underneath of a, of a general, a, a charismatic general. Um, you have the Southwest, Oztlan, which is really cartel land. And you have in the in the Mississippi Valley, Americans that don't want to be forcibly evacuated, and the National Guard refuses to report. The soldiers come from Fort Leonard Wood to try to fix bridges. They become victims. Um, you know the the people in the miss in the in the Tennessee area, west of Middle Tennessee, don't want to be evacuated and refuse. Americans won't do the work. American National Guard does not report for duty. The rump federal government brings in peacekeeping battalions, not UN, but like directly this Kazakh general says, I can bring 10,000 troops next week. You'll get American citizenship. You'll get land. That's all you need. You don't have to pay them. The dollar's worthless. But if you come over here, just fly in. We've got the equipment. The payoff will be a promise of citizenship and land. Who's to say they haven't already been promised that through CNN International already? Well, in effect, they have been. The guys that are coming up that are chanting Biden, 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 they believe they've been invited into the land of milk and honey. That's and my point. When their debit card is cut off, they're going to go berserk because they've been, they'll have been. they feel that they've been you know, lied to and betrayed. Uh, so there's a lot of different branches we could go down off of that. I think the, the more salient point, though, is that the scenario you described um, brings you know brings us to the point of what's the cartel play in this? What's the what's the military? Because let, let's assume, because I've heard this several times, there's Chinese military here, there's Russian military here, there's there's all forms of military, 
regular army units here that have been infiltrated in. And Dave and I have wargamed this for probably six shows now. And it's, I keep saying, which I stand by, you don't marshal this number of forces and keep them idle for a very long time. Cause you know how it goes with Joe's, right? You leave Joe's to their own devices and tell them to guard a rock with a couple of metal detectors. You're going to come back. The metal detectors will be broken. They'll both be covered in white dust. The, the, the rock will be crushed and they won't have any idea how anything happened. And you don't want to, you don't want to leave 28 million Joe's in a country. Well, there's, and, there's, and, we, we and know continue. from past, from past immigrant waves of hostels, like um, in the, in the 50s of the Hungarian Revolution, they sent a lot of sleepers in. The Mariel boat left. The China, the Cubans sent a lot of sleepers in. You you get a you get a high defection rate. There are a lot of the Russian sleepers, the long term sleepers. They went native and actually were seduced by America and walked into the FBI and said, "Hey, I've been here for five years, but I'm not working for the KGB anymore." I that think actually, some of that's going to happen, Dave. That happens a lot. So, but but these countries that are sophisticated, they figure all of that in. They, they account for that. And part, partly what they'll do, they have to have vetting procedures. When you go into a foreign country, they're going to tell you you're going to be repeatedly tested. You know, you're running the uh, pet shop and somebody's going to come into the pet shop and ask for a striped Komodo dragon and you have to do what he says. Or, or if somebody comes in and, and gives you a, a test and you fail the test, you'll be killed. Okay, that's where I was going. Because that's, you know, the, the one of the things that I continually get asked about is what's the control mechanism when you put those forces on the ground? And that's one mechanism. Well, I for think Chinese, for Chinese, you only have two parents and it's like a highly ancestral worshiping country. You just do not abandon your parents. So if you do come to America, they have the hook on you because your mother will be crying and saying they're making me eat out of a garbage can because of what you're doing. Shut up on social media. That happens right now all the time. Isn't it amazing how uh, how effective coercion still is to this day? Absolutely. I but I the, the other direction I was going with that, which I think both of you can talk to, is when you marshal this number of forces, you have you have an operations plan in in mind. And the question is, how far do you think we are away from kickoff? It's, this isn't the kind of a marshalling plan like 1914, where you've literally stripped your factories, called up all the reserves, and they're all now at the Western Front. Then you do get into a use it or lose it scenario because you know your your gross national product is is you know decaying by the day. So you get into a situation of if if we leave now, we'll be attacked. If we stay, our economy is ruined. So let's attack in that game theory. But if you've got sleeper agents that are earning money in America, it's not like they're in at Port of Jubail in Saudi Arabia waiting for Desert Storm. These are just guys that are, you know, either on the dole or working some kind of a landscaping job. Their they're, carrying cost is very low. Their carrying cost is almost nothing. Yeah, but I think, Steve, you were asking for, for a timeline prior to the election. Is that what you were getting at? Yeah, if I backward plan, so... You know, I made a call last year that I was looking at the number of forces that were moving into Ukraine, moving into uh, Poland. And I figured June, July is when we're going to see kinetic by the U.S. if things were going to go kinetic in, uh, in Ukraine with U.S. forces and NATO. Completely didn't play out that way. Now I'm looking at we've moved 28 million military age males into the country. 
I'm looking at 2024. They don't want that to happen. They want to install somebody after martial law is declared. What kind of a bad, you know, if I'm backward planning, you know, I see, and you, we've all talked about this major event that's coming to change history. You know, what kind of time frame do you need prior before the election to be able to flush all that out and, and start operations? I, to me, it's like, man, March, April, call me crazy. Well, it, it depends on, on, uh, well, like you said, when we spoke earlier today, there's, there's any number of options they're going to have and how things shape up are going to dictate which levers they pull. Right. So if you, if you think in terms of backwards planning, you look at first week of November, you have the election. So what's the first objective? Sufficient disruption to cause, um, the avoidance of the election through, uh, what's what's the uh, what's the act from 1973, the uh, War Powers Act? But, if you yeah, want to use that, a security environment that will not permit. So yes, exactly, non-permissive, uh, high-intensity threat on our streets, etc. So we have that as the as the principal objective, but go beyond that and say, um, what are we going to do to manage the response of first responders, police force, things like that? and the United States military. Well, so we're going to have to predate things with some type of international conflict, which draws the majority of potential ground combat forces away from continental United States. Now, we already have a much smaller army than we used to, so that's not as difficult as it used to be. But you're going to have, you have to factor in that event. When does that circumstance have to brew up? You've also got to factor in some of these other players because we've got a number... Steve, like you said, you've got the cartels as one component. You've got uh, the Muslim community as another component. You've got the the Chinese military-age males as another component. And you've got the Russians. How how can they best utilize these, these different uh, disparate forces to conduct operations? I see initially some of those special forces trained Chinese groups that have been identified by some of the rituals they go through. Um, I see them as very active in terms of breaking lines of communication, uh, iso- you know, destroying bridges, destroying infrastructure, and, and cutting people off in that. So they're, they're using right. their skills. They're not direct engagement at that point. And, they they're, may not have- even, and they're not even necessarily um, attributable directly. Exactly. exactly. We just saw this fire underneath of a, a homeless camp underneath of a I-10 interstate. Oh, that's brilliant. Camp. But they had propane tanks. They had like people doing roach coaches under there. Um, so just a fire. I mean, a few years ago, a tanker truck crashed and burned on top of an overpass in California. So the lesson's not lost. If you hijack a tanker and you park it on a bridge and you light it off, the bridge is gone. But you only need one choke point in most of the cities. You can bring them to their knees. And, I, and that's and the sort of what you guys to go by. shooting at transformers. That's yeah. So you've got skill sets. You've got people with training. You've got the resources and assets available. I, I brought this up last last week. You've got the uh, one or two train loads of, uh, what was it, of uh, ammonium nitrate that sure. sort of just disappeared yeah. last yeah. year and was never train accounted load. for. And uh, so you've got you've got things like that. You've got these weapons caches that uh, you can be arming people out of, um, or do, or you just drop the truck off in the middle of the city. Well, you don't even need to hand them out. You just park the truck 
in downtown Baltimore and the 10,000 AK-47s will, will walk themselves everywhere. Yeah, but I think they want certain people to have them much more than they want the local drug gang to be picking through that stuff. Well, I, um, my point is, at that point, the city itself is the weapon. Igniting the city so that the city burns itself down is like a weapon of mass destruction. No, I, I get it. I get it. But but I think you're also going to have... Now, you said something very important. You said non-attributable. Because what's the great risk that a nation state like China faces? It becomes attributable to them, and they become their forces within the United States, having been recognized as a, as a Trojan horse assault, have now have presented an existential threat. Well, that pretty much puts things... <laughs> that pretty much puts a lot of stuff on the table in terms of how we we uh, conduct retribution uh, right up to the point of, of you know weapons of mass destruction. So I think they're going to avoid reaching that level for as long as they can. But to go back to Steve's original question, I think you're going to see you're going to see somewhere in the uh, August time frame, the ramp up going on with direct action. You may think that's a little bit late, but remember, they don't want to burn out too fast. They don't want to light that fuse and have it burn out too fast. The plan so, may be for that July, late, but so many other things can happen in the meantime that just yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the fire begins on its own. Absolutely, I agree. I, agree. I, I and I appreciate you guys going there because look, my audience hears me talk about this all the time, and you know we we all have different perspectives on and and different views on how things are going to develop, right? And, and when I look at it. And I knew that the brigade planner would come out at some point, and I'm glad it did, because it shows. Level. It shows, you know what I'm talking about. Sorry, <laughs> division level. That's a lot sorry, bigger than a brigade sorry, general. Level. I'll, I'll, I'll square myself away there. Uh, I was a G5, not an yeah, S5. Whatever. Um, the bigger picture, though, is that this could develop a number of different ways, and 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 the key salient point for the audience to take away is you're listening to th to three different views the point is be flexible and be ready for something that could be completely out of left field because i i don't discount including the internet going off for, in five minutes or it goes off for two days and then it's nikki haley in charge i mean anything, <laughs> is, on, anything is on the table i agree and i and so i appreciate you guys going down this this rabbit hole because it's there's so many variables that are sitting there and you know, I look at things from, and I'm, and I'm seeing how they're developing the information um, campaign. Right? They've the narrative around censorship, like they're really beating the drum about we need to have accountability on the internet. That's that's just a mask for we want to we want a total control of communications. They only do that when they're marching you towards an event, and they're obviously marching us towards yes, an event where absolutely. they want to hold people accountable for dissent. And it's critical for their for their plan that they can take dissent offline as fast. And, and as not possible. only not only take you offline for dissenting, but in more subtle fashions, just be able to assign you an algorithm and turn your output volume down to one percent. They can do that, and and you can say, "I'm still posting on Facebook. I'm just not getting any engagement," and nobody will tell me why. But they've actually, you know, methodology. Um, have the methodology they've been working for it with the twitter files you know embedded fbi former quote-unquote fbi etc but with this fcc thing it's just going to be official 
So one message gets boosted 1,000%, another message goes to 0.01%. But you're not being censored. You're still posting on Twitter. Nobody sees it. Yeah, the algorithms are still there. That's the key thing. I right? think one of the things we need to, to be talking about are what is the potential surprise event? What's the thing? We've talked about a lot of fairly predictable aspects of this because we're familiar with the capabilities and resources um, that, that we've been reading about and thinking about. What kind of event is going to be the, oh, my God, we didn't see that out of left field? I would look at something that's going to overstress the healthcare system with some kind of mass casualty event, you could have toxins in local water supplies, things like that. Because there's only really one company that, that regulates, modulates water content in the United States, which is overwhelming power for that one corporation to have. But the water supply is not just limiting water supply, but actually poisoning water supply, causing some type of mass casualty event. Something like that would have, again, have people focused on their own survival. Mass, in, mass, mass casualty and or mass hysteria. Yeah. It can be whipped, it, the, the reaction can be whipped up by media. So you can have, you know, hysteria on top of um, actual casualties. Of course, they're going to magnify the effects to the greatest extent. But, you know, where does that play into things? I, I personally, I think that would be after some type of international event that draws people away from the United States, draws conventional forces away from the United States, but prior to some of these other type of events we're talking about. I, I think I think that um, cruise missiles hitting American ships on the same day, you know, the uh, Ramsey, uh, Ramsey Youssef, the World Trade Center number one guy, mm -hmm. he, they parked the van in the wrong place and didn't drop the building that it was close. Um, they had also planned a thing called Operation Bojinka. And this was like, a, for a while, this is considered like an Al-Qaeda hallmark, was the simultaneous hits, like the embassy in uh, Nairobi and three or four other cities were like hit on the same Sunday. You know, that, that was like a signature hit. Um, I think that we could see like a signature hit of multiple American ships being hit. Or, or multiple American aircraft, because that whole Operation Bojinka was a binary explosive, like, you know, you've got your shampoo and you leave it in the bathroom, the next guy in has the conditioner, you mix it together and it burns up the airplane. That was what the plan was for Bojinka, essentially, um, something like that. All 747s, like 10 of them to go down um, in the middle of the Pacific at the same time. So I think that they would still love to do that. There's something showmanship about uh, proving that we can hit multiple sophisticated targets at once. So whether it's ships or aircraft, something like that, I think that's still in the play, in play. And then simultaneously hit the U.S. at the same time. That would be a, a major coup for, for any country overseas right now. But, and it would, we've set up conditions so they yeah, can and, do and that anyway. We, you know, we, we're not, another thing that, that relates to energy is you know, I think obviously we took out the Nord Stream pipeline. We promised we would. We bragged about it. Um, that changed the economy significantly because now they're building LNG tankers, which are like multi-billion-dollar ships, building LNG facilities in in Los, in uh, New Orleans, in uh, Louisiana like crazy, which are multi-billion-dollar facilities. But it's sort of like a glass house that can only live in a high-trust uh, economy uh, because. These, these LNG tankers, they like lose like 10% of their gas 
every like a, per week. So you can't just like a, a, a petroleum tanker, a crude tanker can just sit out forever, right? It's nothing, nothing's evaporating. The LNG tankers are costing money for every day they're underway. The, the cost of delivered gas in Europe is up, you know, multiple times since the, we, you know, the pipe, the, the Nord Stream was taken out. Well, these are extremely vulnerable facilities. Somebody with uh, uh, just black market ATGMs could could wreck an LNG uh, uh, regasification plant. Yeah, and, and you're to, you're to and near. Not take next week. It would take like years to rebuild it. Well, my understanding is you're, you're almost talking about like a small tactical nuke with some of these chemicals that could, you know, be involved in something like and that. If, but but the even taking out the, you know, the, the, if the, if the gas is released just right and it makes a detonation, but even aside from that, there are only like a handful of these regasification plants, um, like it, one in Spain and one in England. And, and they are like out on a point somewhere out on a peninsula, but they're vulnerable. Because somebody could just drop mortar rounds on it from a boat. They, yeah. they, and they do not take, if, if the thing burns, they took years to build and many billions of dollars. So that part of the, of, the, um, of, the, of the energy equation is extremely lucrative. So these Texans and, and Louisianans are making billions hand over fist since the Nord Stream went offline. But it's extremely vulnerable. And now the they're talking about hydrogen. The same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing, right? With hydrogen, because it's a small molecule and it it's hard to contain and our containment systems are not as efficient as they should be. And the pipelines are very robust. You know, they're building pipelines from not only from Russia built the Nord Stream, Russia is building pipelines connecting to China now. And this is a way to get around our, you know, the old Admiral Mahan and the choke points, right? The we controlled Eurasia from the periphery with our naval power because Eurasia was never actually, you know, gathered under, under one power. So the great powers, Britain and then America always played a balancer. We would, the British would go in and fight the Russians in Crimea or fight the French in Spain, always trying to keep the, the you know, the Eurasia from being ever under one control. Well, we're, we're, we're on the border of, on the verge of that, because Russian natural gas is going to flow straight to China, and that takes away a lot of the threat to China from the from cutting their sea lanes of communications. And the the in a in a war scenario, a pipeline, a natural gas pipeline, is extremely robust because if you hit it with a rocket and you blow up a you know 500 yards of pipe, they can fix it in two days. They've got the pipe all staged everywhere. But if you take out this LNG gasification plant in Portugal or, or in France, and it's the one for the whole country, you're done for like the next couple of years. You can't just build a pipeline next week or build a new gasification conversion plant next week. Whereas the pipeline going from Russia to who what whatever client, you hit that with a missile, you did them like no damage because they can fix that pipeline all day long compared to relying on LNG by ships. Well, there's all kinds of infrastructure that can be selected and targeted. One of the things I have a concern about that would uh, lead to a great deal of confusion is a decapitation event. 
and uh, you know, selected sniping and, and I thought assassination. That already happened. I thought we have president. Where's the? Yeah. I think, we were, I think we were already decapitated. We've got a no-brain president. Well, obviously that'd be very selective, <laughs> no. but but uh, you know where you know mid-level, mid-level uh, especially because there's going to be national people that are so bought off they don't really care. You know they don't give a damn about them. They want to use those people. Yeah, security is the security is always one of the um, the linchpins and the vulnerable points because you can say, all right, you know, George Soros, whoever, Bill Gates, down to the top ten thousand CEOs. Well, they've got you know high security. Well, if people start sniping at the security, it's a big disincentive. So you know you're not making enough money to be sniped at being on the periphery of guarding the you know high value targets. So. If the if the social mood turned so against the elites, you know that people were just sniping at fancy black SUVs. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about actual uh, political leaders within the United States at at strategic points. Oh, I think, and I think that, co- that I think that the Supreme Court is going to be very near near the top because it would be such a destabilizing event to take out a swing vote right now. It, it would have immediate consequences, huge consequences. But that's going to have to be, so let's see, a couple of things. So we're coming up on two hours. I want to make sure we, we, um, because I I know it's late for you, Matt, so I appreciate you you sticking around with us. That's fine. It's only 8.46. The the bigger, uh, I say you're right, but to go after somebody who's sitting in a political seat right now, I think would be a, a, have to be a very planned and well-coordinated effort to do that. Because there's, D.C. is an armed camp, every part of it, and almost every, senior politician, senior executive service, critical position has a security detail around them. So I don't see that as a as a high probability right now, maybe later on and you know well but they, they mostly have just close range security. They don't have they don't have um POTUS cabinet level, which is like sniper range. They've only got, you know, uh pie in the face range kind of security. I, I still think it's interesting when you think about, um, you know, timing, because I, I think timing's a factor here, too, for that. But you're right. Only one uh, one critical move like that would change the dynamics of the situation entirely. But the Supreme Court isn't making any decisions on anything controversial right now anyway. I mean, even Roe v. Wade was not that controversial. It, it, it sent shockwaves through one community, but it really didn't do anything. It just sent it back to the states. And it was already in the state hands before Roe v. Wade was put in place in the first place. They haven't they haven't ruled on anything, you know, significant. Not even gun legislation because the pistol brace uh, ban was was done at the district level. The election stuff's been canned and shelved. They're they're really not doing anything critical right now. Well, they threw the, I, they threw the um, the Missouri case over um, Twitter censorship. They threw that back to the state and said you can censor. For, you know, they 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 um, upheld the stay at the um, in the at, in the Missouri case. So they're putting the they are that's another pro censorship vote. You could say right. They should smack that thing down and said no, you can't do that. So well, support is backing away from tackling censorship. Right, but the original premise, though, I think there hasn't been a big enough event to draw enough of an emotional response for something like that to happen if it was going to happen 
probability is it would be perpetrated by somebody on the government side of the fence for different political reasons versus a citizen. I did. There's too many other high high value targets that that people would go after that would have more effect immediately than the Supreme Court. I see that as a you know a revenge thing down the road from somebody. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios you can go after with that. Let's. State Let's governors, do. state governors, I think, would have a significant impact because they control National Guard units. They control stuff enter with with FEMA and Pima interface. There, there's a whole litany of things that that uh, strikes against you know gubernatorial level people would uh, would would cause tremendous problems. Agree. So let's. So one one more question. I think that I think I think that I think. Wow, that's good grammar. You can tell it's been a long day. I think the the audience will is going to ask because um, they always do after after we have these kinds of discussions that go this way. The question really is, what can people be doing right now to prepare in their local area? They've heard me talk a thousand times, and and I'll just just open it up. Final comments for for the audience. Let's just go there instead of a directed question. And Matt, we'll start with you. I, I would say <laughs> stay away from cities and stay away from crowds as much as possible. <laughs> have your, have think about where you're not just, you know, your next uh, ammunition, but your food and especially your water. And think about backup communications. I think everybody should have a CB radio. You're crazy if you don't have a CB radio. Just put it in the garage with a cigarette lighter adapter and a, you know, magnetic antenna. So at least you can be talking to people in your neighborhood if, everything goes sideways because those things are everywhere. I mean, along with your Baofeng radios, but other than your little prepper circle, who has them or would know how to use them, what frequencies? But CB, I think, will be very uh, prolific and important. Dave? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, sometimes we think that we're facing unprecedented circumstances. At the end of the American Civil War, you had a breakdown in a number of southern states that precipitated um, all kinds of, of uh, roving gangs and things like that that were raping women and yep. and doing doing all kinds of terrible things. And yep. this was this was one of the reasons you had groups. I mean, the, the KKK was just one of the groups, but in its in its original original form, not the later racist form, you had people banding together in order to protect women going to markets, in order to protect men on work gangs, people in the streets, just conducting normal civil routine activities. And so, you know, one of the things that I would recommend is people get a real sense of who has what skills in their community. You need good doctors, dentists. I'm not so sure about the lawyer thing, but uh, people, Steve, like you hit on this quite a bit, People who know how to fix things, mechanics, things like that. Um, people who know how to put in a gas line or run a generator or or do those things so that you can restore power. Um, those are critical skills. Understand who has those skills. Think about what kind of capabilities you're going to need. Have a sense already. And I, I was going to say this, this dovetails into what went on in, in the South at the end. People were often interviewed covertly 
they would just be engaged in quiet conversation with one or two people. But the, the questions asked were probing questions. And if you have a sense of where people stand, you're going to find, okay, there's somebody that I could rely on that's going to view things from my perspective. It's a little bit late when the bullets are flying to start worrying about that. I think I think establishing the human geography, the human, uh, you know, the human layout, so to speak, is is going to be an important thing ahead of time. And of course, you want to build those relationships, Steve, like you're always talking about. But understand the you know the the, the breakdown of where these people lie, because there's we are a somewhat you know fractured nation when it comes to political perspectives. And uh, and that's going to be a, a it's going to be an important thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Build build your local ties. Think think zip code. Yeah, sphere of influence. I, this is going to get to the neighborhood level, and I've been, you know, I saw this over a year ago, and have been talking about it for over a year because, you know, when you, I, and I saw this graphically on the ground in Iraq, right? When they lost all comms and they didn't have power, it it was local, street by street. Mm -hmm. community by community tribe by tribe and that's how that's how this will go here and in most people in this country do not know how to socialize anymore they kids do it they argue via text they have relationships via text they get their validation online it's it's retarded we need to get back to the basics of socialization because our social consciousness is lost in technology not, not only do they have they lost the face-to-face -face socialization skills but they're more susceptible to, than any time to mass propaganda stampeding them, like TikTok style. Oh, God, TikTok. they couldn't find Palestine on a map. Yeah. Our, you know, are joining, uh, you know, the Palestine movement because of what they're seeing on social media. So they don't have real social contacts, so their brain is an empty, you know, has a pipeline straight into an empty brain. Yeah, and that's you know, and I've. I've done sh entire shows on social media and how addictive it is and how it changes your persona and how it changes your, just the way you communicate and how it's affected the younger generations. And look, look at Snapchat. I mean, if I was a college kid back in college, where was that when I was in college? My God, pictures only last 10 seconds. Don't worry about it. Snapchat in and of itself changed the persona of an entire generation. They take more pictures of themselves. They're more narcissistic, but they're more sexualized all in one application. That's just one application. And they're all at much they're younger all, ages, which also has a very deleterious um, downstream. Oh, yeah, I, I won't even, I'm not even going to go down. I'm just, the average age no, of kids being exposed to hardcore porn now is like 10. Oh, it's even younger than that, I would say, because most kids are have a cell phone in their hand at eight and most parents don't even know how to use the parental controls. But the bigger, the bigger picture is that when you turn off the internet, even for a couple of days, it's like taking mind altering, um, semi, uh, semi psychosis, psychotic drugs like Adderall and some of the others away from somebody who's been on it for years, they just lose their minds. And we'll see, you're going to see all of that all at the same time. And it's, it's so important right now to turn off technology. And, and this is going to sound ethereal, but just bear with me because I'm reaching a point. To be silent and still in an environment that's rapidly moving and chaotic and be reflective of 
decisions you've made, things you've done, what your friendships are, what the what the blessings are in your life, what the what the um, the the bounty and the abundances in your life. You have no idea how important it is to do that right now. Because in that process of self-reflection, you're going to see who's important in your life, who's not important in your life, and what relationships matter. When you're in technology and you're in the th it's speed of light, speed of sound, speed of thought, you don't take time to reflect on what's important. And part of us coming out of this on the other side is rebuilding that social fabric. And that's the part that we're missing direly right now. It's why we can't come together because we're so immersed in technology and the pace and keeping up with the pace that we don't take time to stop and reflect. And that to me is the most important thing you can be doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just my wife calls it internet detox. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's important. And it's, it's something that most people don't take time to do. And I'll give you a case in point. My um, my older brother lives about 20 minutes from my house. This is the first time I've lived. We've lived in the same city in almost 25 years. And he's he's moving away. He's moving to a different state because the cost of living here is ridiculous now. And I didn't realize what a blessing it was to have him close by until about two weeks ago. Because I took for granted that he was so close. And that's the part that I'm trying to get people to reconnect with is that piece. Because that, if you go back in, in history and you look at American history, that is the one piece about our society that made the rural areas and farming communities so strong was that everyone knew everybody. And yeah, everybody knew everybody's business. But the bigger picture was there was no, there was, there was no striving, there was no competition. It was just people working together to get by. And that's the place we need to be at right now. And that's yeah, we're, we're not the same society we were in the 1930s during the Great Depression, where there actually were family farms and kind of a, sa a safety valve for cities was a lot of Americans had relatives in more rural settings and they could ride out the depression. Our food now just comes from fa factory farms. Thank you. That's exactly where I was going that. There's exactly. no, you can move back to Idaho and walk up to some farm and say, it's really bad in the city. Do you mind if I live here for a while? Absolutely. The, the culture and, and the culture has changed. Nobody in the, in the depth of the Great Depression, people weren't smashing into you know supermarkets and looting them. They're doing that at the drop of a hat now. Absolutely. I'll tell, tell you, it's, it's an amazing thing, but the number of hunters in this country is declining precipitously. Hunting skills... If, if I was a father with a young guy, I'd be teaching my, my sons and daughters, for that matter, how to hunt. Because there's so many subsidiary skills and tasks that you have to master to be successful. But it gets you away from the Internet. It gets you comfortable in your own head if you're sitting in a tree stand or, or waiting to ambush an animal. If you learn snares or trapping or things like that. I mean, my grandfather was an orphan in the depression, but he was a, he was a phenom with weapons. And he literally at times was a, was a meat hunter for the markets. When you have those skills, you can always survive because even if you're not killing big game, there's usually some small game available. 
I think that's something that, um, yeah, I think well, that's I think by, something I think by that's far missing. the I think the most important shooting that we ever do or time we do is is taking the next generation out in the woods, whether it's you know various camping skills or hunting or fishing or boating, just taking the next generation out and showing them something that's not on the screen. Absolutely. Even yeah. even even engine maintenance and repair. I mean, change the oil yourself. Show a kid how to do it. Well, you know, here's the funny thing about that. Don't know how to change a tire. Yeah. And you know what's, here's what's funny about that is my kids, I I drilled that into them when they were younger and they hated me for it. And then they were on a long trip, had a flat tire and their mother was like, how'd you learn how to change a tire? Dad made us do it. And it's like, we knocked it out. Yeah. No problem. It, It, you don't realize how important those skills are until you don't know until you're in the situation. Right. And you can't wait till you're in the situation, figure it out. Like you said about water, you're you're dead before you figure out that water filter. How about a simple thing like land navigation without a GPS, get a map and a compass. It's it's all about my, my book that that I'm writing now takes place like in a decade after GPS. So if you're navigating, you only have dead reckoning between a celestial fix and a celestial, That might not happen for two or three days because you never see the sky. Oh, try doing that in an airplane at night. It, right. It's impossible. It's like, right. you know, or landing on a lake at night. It's like landing on it gives a you a lot of appreciation for the early aviators that were, you know, carrying the mail and all the rest of that. Well, you talk to any pilot. They they the, map, story they, about... the map on their lap. They have flashlight in their teeth. Oh, yeah. I've <laughs> done that. Altimeter. I've absolutely yeah. done that. Yeah. I do, but the, the, the point's made, right? that now's the time to hone your skills. And I'll close with this. We talk about a lot of different scenarios and I've, and I appreciate both of you coming on. I can't, I can't tell you what an honor it is to have these kind of discussions with you because I think this helps the broader audience understand the gravity of the situation. And most importantly, if you, if you hear me say anything, don't be scared. There's nothing to be scared of. Be ready. And remember who we are. Because when you forget who we are, what we are, we've lost. Pioneer stock. God bless everyone. One team, one fight. Take care. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye. Good night.